Hello, and you're very welcome to episode six of the Weekly General Meeting podcast, our showcase of emerging and established Irish creative talent, hosted by myself, Neil Conlon, and Shane Langan. Our show this week is brought to you by Independence Music and Arts Festival, which is taking place in Mitchellstown, County Cork, August 1st to 3rd, featuring acts such as Public Enemy, White Lies and Tom O'Dell, as well as recent WGM guests Hosier and We Cut Corners. Tickets are available now from tickets.ie. Visit independencefestival.com for more details. And on this week's show, comedy from Eleanor Tiernan and Kevin Gildee, poetry from Stephen James Smith and music from Colm McInimra. Eleanor Tiernan is a writer and performer on RTE's fantastic Irish Pictorial Weekly. She's performed her acclaimed comedy all over the world, and if that wasn't enough, she also just happens to be one of the loveliest people in the business. This is Eleanor Tiernan. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Um, Good day today. Second in the Dennis the Menace Look at I contest, so... (laughs) That's good. <laughs> um, very, no, very nice to be here. Um, on the 5th of December before Christmas, um, Nelson Mandela, uh, the former South African president, passed away. And on that night, every news station in the world interrupted whatever programme it was running and ran one of those kind of uh, one of those long drawn out news programmes to kind of comment on the event of his death. And it was one of those ones where the newsreaders are. Uh, they have the difficult situation of uh, contemplating the implications of the terrible tragedy, while at the same time containing their glee at being the one to make the announcement. <laughs> so, we here at the BBC confirm that Nelson Mandela has passed away. Um, in this case, um, uh, uh, Nelson, well, I think the reason they have those programmes is so that they can, they're really long and drawn out, so that they can react to the, uh, any uh, further developments in the story. However, in this case, uh, the main character had passed away before the programme began, so it's difficult to know what developments they were expecting to happen. Uh, the only two I could come up with was that uh, he would either give some sign from the afterlife to confirm that it exists, uh, or, um, or, or that he would come back to life, neither of which happened. So what the newsreaders were left in a position where they had to uh, continue the long drawn out news programme, but they only had the fact of his death to keep them going. Uh, so they had to com- com- like, continue reiterating that, but in slightly different ways. Um, viewers, we here at the BBC can confirm that Nelson Mandela has passed away peacefully at his home. That's the president of Africa, or not Africa, but the south of Africa, is no longer alive. Movement, thought, breath, and therefore speech are said to be beyond the power of the man (laughs) who once ruled in the continent that Toto named a song after. (laughs) And we may have Toto in studio later to uh, give their their views on, on, on the event. Um, the programme I was expecting uh, uh, to watch actually in, in the moment was the one that Neil just uh, referred to. It was this thing called Irish Pictorial Weekly on RTE, which I do impersonations on. So which, when I switched on the television and I saw Nelson Mandela, I thought, feckin' hell, that is actually very good. Uh, <laughs> I can hardly see myself at all uh, in that. I'm way too hard on myself. Um, <laughs> um, 
But of course, the programme in the UK that the BBC interrupted was one called Mrs. Brown's Boys. Uh, I don't know if people here are, are, are fans of the show. I certainly am. And anyway, uh, what, the, what the BBC, uh, that, that was the programme the BBC interrupted. Uh, and uh, what, what, what I do like, though, is that 850 of Mrs. Brown's Boys fans wrote to the BBC to complain that their programme had been interrupted. Uh, and I, I actually, even though I don't like the programme, I really admire their spirit of not being told what to feel, what they should feel. Uh, and uh, I love the idea that letters like this must have been written. Dear BBC, I am writing to tell you how disappointed I was when you interrupted Mrs Brown's boys with an unplanned programme on the death of former South African President Nelson Mandela. While I know that Mr Mandela was a fine politician and all, News of his death is no reason to ruin what is without doubt the greatest sitcom ever written. <laughs> Though I had seen the episode before, <laughs> on nine separate occasions, I still feel that to abandon it because of the, well, let's face it, entirely foreseeable death of a 95-year-old man was an hysterical overreaction. Also, the interruption occurred at one of the series' funniest moments, where Agnes mistakenly serves her posh in-law some warmed-up gazpacho soup. It's supposed to be served cold, you see. <laughs> Furthermore, Newsnight was due to start only a short time later. What did you think I was going to do with that knowledge at 9.52 that I could not have done at 10pm? Once again, BBC, you have completely misread the mood of the people of Britain. Idiots down in London might claim to have enjoyed your parasitic Mandela fest. But that's only because of their desperate need to be thought of as intelligent and well-informed. Up here in Manchester or Bolton or wherever this accent is from. <laughs> we use soap operas, not news programmes, to articulate our grief. I used to like Nelson Mandela until you so grossly overestimated my interest in him. <laughs> Thank you, BBC, for destroying my appreciation of a good man while at the same time making a mockery of the national TV schedule. Um, I think a person knows that they are emotionally dead inside if they can eat a whole packet of love hearts and not read the messages on any of them. <laughs> It just sweets to me now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Might as well be eating refreshers at this point. <laughs> she wasn't that funny when I was going out with her, is the cry of many of my ex-boyfriends. Uh, I disagree, gentlemen. I believe that crying during sex and backing out of holidays that were booked and paid for is hilarious now. <laughs> Uh, I went to therapy because I thought I'd learn how to stop people from leaving me. Uh, I was wrong. But I did learn how to make them leave me in more interesting ways. The last guy I was with, we were walking by the river and he got swept away by the current. <laughs> and I thought, that is very good. Uh, I haven't seen that before. <laughs> I played, sir. Um, I, used to, I used to drink a lot, um, uh, but I had to stop. Uh, I knew it was time I got a letter from L'Oreal telling me that I wasn't worth it anymore. <laughs> uh, 
dear Miss Tiernan, it has come to our attention <laughs> that you no longer meet the standards of hygiene, appearance and temperament expected of customers of the L'Oreal brand. You are hereby excused of your ongoing obligation to purchase cosmetics from our range. And however, we wish you every, uh, every, every uh, success in your future face-disguising endeavours. Um, uh, I, don't mind, I don't mind that the young homeless men of Dublin have started mentioning my age in their requests for money from me. Uh, one of them recently said, he said, ah, come on, Mrs. Ah, come on. I'm only 21. I could have been your son. Yeah. Uh, at first, I was a bit put out. I was like, what? How dare you? Um, but I got to thinking, and technically speaking, the guy is correct. Um, I'm 37. If I had gotten pregnant at 15, had a baby at 16, that child would be 21 now. Uh, it's only my middle-class social conditioning that makes me think that's not possible. Of course it's possible. And I'm actually grateful to the young man now for jolting me out of my complacency. Um, uh, Whatever, or however, what I resent bitterly in his statement is the implication that if I did get pregnant at 16, uh, that the upbringing I would have given that child <laughs> would be so impoverished that he'd find himself on the streets at 21. That's not the case at all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, me and my imaginary 21-year-old son have just graduated from college together. <laughs> yeah. First and second in our class. <laughs> him first, because I let him. What can I say? Don't put me on a pedestal. It's what any mother would do. Uh, but then I remember that uh, I know loads of people who had poor upbringings and they turned out really well. And I know other people who, who had uh, good ones and didn't turn out so well. So my assumption that a good upbringing would be enough to prevent my son from being on the streets doesn't stand up to that evidence. We don't like to admit it, ladies and gentlemen, but it's a fact. Some children are just shit. <laughs> So I was forced to concede the point. <laughs> I said, yes, OK, yes, you could be my son, but if we are accepting that that's the case, then I feel I must say this to you, that you have been a desperate disappointment to me. <laughs> because as a mother, I have provided you with a warm bed and clean sheets that you continually throw back in my face. And you could have been my son. <laughs> he might be homeless, but my son knows that of is not a verb. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Stephen James Smith is an award-winning poet and playwright from Dublin. At the start of his WGM performance, he made a joke that no one really laughed at. And since then, he's regularly been reminding us to edit it out which we have done. So here is the fantastically talented Stephen James Smith with Terrible Joke Removed. Here we are. Uh, so I'm going to just do a couple of poems, um, and one is in relation to, the, to Oscar Wilde. So I went to see The Importance of Being Earnest before in the Abbey, and it made me so happy uh, from seeing that I laughed so much that I ended up writing this poem. All right? Cool. Um, it's about my mental health, but anyway, sure. Like, uh, so, <laughs> my six days of Prozac positivity. Well, sure, it all started with an empty me. 
Numbing our problems and surroundings, we can only try and cut through our pain for hurt, for reality, for some fresh perspective and detecting a somber mentality, moving to a bipolar neutrality and contrast, a well-oiled machine that's functioning with efficient spark plug electricity. So, I'll arise and there, go now, and go to our core where a secret garden will see our souls suck to dry some more. Nourished by living corpses that are beautifully rotting and flourishing in a world gone mad that's addicted to weed killer where a neural uptake has resulted in suicide. So, have you set yourself a date to collide with your maker or some demon heart to break her and? If I flew over the cuckoo's nest, would you shoot me down or set me free? Well, I'm not here to judge. Because what's right for you may not be right for me, but I know now the importance of being earnest. It's taken me 24 years to have learned this. It's a lesson, a fable, a parable for happiness. Because... It's only when you hit your lowest low that you can set your sights high in a new goal. So please follow your intuition, listen to those voices from within, follow feelings for freedom, I understand. I know it's hard. I know you hurt yourself. I know you care about everyone else. I know the demons by name, so say hello to them from me, but please don't fear them, because I know that we can clear them from your nightmares. I'm here, I'm near, and you sure, you make me real. You sure. You make me real. A real reality is better than a medicated mentality. Moving to mediocrity, meditating to purity. Prescribe yourself some happiness. Prescribe joy. There ain't no good thing that ever dies, so where are you going? Do you know where you've been? Do you know you have beautiful eyes? Look in the mirror. Look at yourself. I can tell that you're beautiful. Can you? Thanks. Time again for us to dip back into the vaults. Um, well, I, I say vaults, but they're more of a, well, it's a hard drive, really. But uh, it is it, it is password protected, so it is, in, the, in that regard, it is um, vault-like. Um, dip back into the vaults uh, for some music from one of our shows back in May 2012. Cullen McInimra has been a violinist and a vocalist with The Frame since 1990. Uh, his performance was one of our absolute favourites from our original monthly live shows and we're absolutely delighted to be able to present it to you now on the podcast. This is Cullen McInimra. <laughs> Thank you. 
Kevin Gildee is a comedian, writer and broadcaster who, along with his fellow Mr. Trellis alumni Ardlo Hanlon and Barry Murphy, set up the legendary Comedy Cellar Club in Dublin. This is the singular Kevin Gildee. Hello. Hello, how are you? Um, it's <clears throat> gonna read a little thing related to Alan Shatter. He uh, laughed already. That's good. Alan's in a bit of bother again. I don't know what he hasn't been releasing information. I'm not sure what's gone on allegedly. Um, I don't know if you remember a while ago, Alan was involved in some sort of points traffic points thing. They asked him to do a breathalyzer thing. Anybody remember that? And apparently, allegedly, probably all the legal possibilities, he couldn't do it because he was having an asthma attack, which I thought, what a brilliant excuse. Anyway, the main thing about Alan Shatter, I think what he'll go down in history for is uh, for his steamy novel, uh, which he wrote in the 1980s uh, or the 1990s. I'm not sure which, but then again, this isn't journalism. Um, <laughs> so sue me. He, um, yes, his steamy novel was the Fifty Shades of Grey of its day. This is absolutely true. It's called Laura. It's about a secretary who has an affair with her minister, apparently. And I happen to have an extract from that novel here. This is the original manuscript. Ha <laughs> ha, I get my hands on this. <laughs> so, let's have a listen to this. For anybody who's not a fay, if uh, you listen to this in England, a few things. Um, Michael Noonan, you need to know about him is that he has a very hard, big head. <laughs> That's the most important fact you need to know about Noonan. And that <laughs> um, the three hairy people, Ming Flanagan, Claire Daly, and Mick Wallace, uh, they're very hairy. That's <laughs> their major contribution to the doll. So just remember that. And asthma is a good thing to remember. So Laura, here's an extract from Laura. Laura, the secretary, sat on her secretary chair and uncrossed her legs like Sharon Stone in a film that wouldn't be made for another 20 years or so. <laughs> How prescient. Laura was Alan's secretary, and with her pen and professional secretarial notebook, she was taking down what Alan was saying. Alan was saying, my pants, my pants, my pants. He panted. A spasm of excitement ran through Laura's sex, like ants at a really good picnic. <laughs> underpants, underpants, underpants. Alan underpanted. <laughs> Laura complied, slipping Alan's pants off, revealing tiny white and hairy legs, like little ice lollies covered in hair. Laura liked hairy men. Her father was a hairy man. He 
was a diplomat in Switzerland, a particularly hairy diplomat. Alan's member grew hard, like Michael Noonan's head. <laughs> it's reference one, C notes at the back. And his hairy balls hung like Ming Flanagan, <laughs> Mick Wallace and Claire Daly hanging upside down. Yes, he had very hairy balls, and he was very well endowed. He had three balls. <laughs> Laura guided Alan's ice lolly legs over to his ministerial desk and lifted his pert little butt onto the shiny mahogany. Laura mounted Alan and moved him about the desk, buffing it to an even greater sheen with Alan Small very pert behind. Laura sat astride Alan, like a guard trying to restrain somebody who was refusing to cooperate. <laughs> um, satirical reference. Alan was breathing heavily at this stage, and his bottom accidentally pressed against the 80s-style touch-button phone, accidentally ringing his wife. Alan panted into the speaker accidentally. That sounds very suspicious, said his wife. What are you doing? I'm just having a terrible asthma attack, said Alan. Bye-bye, <laughs> mm, gotta go, love you. Alan came like ants fired out of a water gun at a picnic. In the post-coital glow, Laura filed Alan's big bushy eyebrows with her file. Alan grabbed the file and threw it out the window. Nobody will ever see that again, he said, in reference to a possible alleged incident earlier. <laughs> the door opened. Mary Harney appeared and said, Can I come in? We'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to hit subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rate and a comment as well if you're that way inclined. Or tell, tell friends uh, about it. Say, hey, there's this podcast I've been listening to and I think you might like it as well. Um, all that is massively uh, helpful for us to uh, grow and keep going. If you are a business owner and you would be interested in getting involved as a sponsorship partner... Uh, of the podcast uh, please do give us an email at theweeklygm at gmail.com uh, you may be surprised by how ruddy reasonable our rates are you can follow us on twitter at theweeklygm and a massive thanks to our guests Kevin Gildee Colin McInimera Stephen James Smith and Eleanor Tiernan we'll be back next week for episode 7 and we'll talk to you then